0: Bruce Compton, good to see you back. It's great to be back, and I look forward to sharing. Yeah, so Bruce Compton is our Senior Director of Global Health for the Catholic Health Association, and he just returned from Ukraine, and that's what this episode of Health Calls is going to be about. So you ready, Bruce? I'm ready. This is Health Calls, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. I'm Brian Reardon, your host, and in this episode, we have one guest, uh, Bruce Compton. Again, I mentioned he serves as Senior Director of Global Health for CHA. And Bruce, uh, you went to Ukraine, and that's what we want to talk about over the next 20 minutes or so. So well, let's start off with why did you go?
1: Well, Brian, early on when Russia invaded in February of 22, several of our members asked how we could be involved, and uh, we um, worked with our members to help make connections. One of those connections was with the International Catholic Migration Commission, uh, Monsignor Bob Vitillo, And Monsignor is the Secretary General of ICMC, but he's also been asked uh, to convene um, the Catholic response for Ukraine. And uh, so CHA has been a part of that Catholic response for Ukraine and providing inputs. And uh, Monsignor, because of some of the work we've done, asked if I wanted to go and visit with them as they visited multiple projects around the country
0: uh, being um, carried out by the Catholic Church. And listeners of Health Calls, of course, remember uh, Monsignor Vitillo. He was in uh, an episode a few months ago talking about the need specifically for prosthetics. So uh, it's great that you actually, uh, again, reconnected with him and, and, and went over there. So um, I guess Talk a little bit about, before we we get into the actual trip and what you saw and learned, uh, really this is about the Catholic response, and so as you kind of plan the trip, um, what other Catholic partners other than Monsignor Vatillo were, 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 was there like a delegation? How did you guys all come together? What was sort of the, the itinerary that you mapped out?
1: Yeah. So, so the Catholic response for Ukraine includes a lot of organization, including the Knights of Columbus, the Knights of Malta, several religious community, Jesuit refugee services, Caritas Internationalis. And um, in some ways, this trip was a, a uh, both and it was sort of Catholic response for Ukraine because we did visit with the Knights of Malta, the Knights of Columbus uh, and ICMC. But the delegation was really myself, Monsignor Vitillo, and the coordinator who is a consultant. Um, for Catholic response for Ukraine. He, Christian Kosko is, uh, was born in Ukraine, um, still has a home in Ukraine, is a naturalized American citizen, um, and but is supporting this work uh, in Ukraine for Catholic response for Ukraine. And
0: we also heard from Christian in that podcast as well. All right, so you obviously have to, you know, go from the U.S. through Europe. Uh, I think you ended up in, in Poland and then crossed over. So tell us a little bit about first impressions of of this war zone essentially and I don't think you traveled a lot around the world is this your first time in a war zone well first time in well, in a war zone where there was
1: active conflict uh, for sure the first time I've ever felt the repercussions of missiles while I was sleeping um, but my first impressions wow um, so it's the first time well, let me just start by saying we met with the Secretary of State of Poland on our way in he gave us some insights um, he also uh, provided us with some assistance as we got to the border. And just getting to the border and, um, you know, crossing through, it was a different feeling for me than I've ever had. I, I was never really nervous, but there was just a bit of anxiety as we were going across the border. And um, it was, you know, it was a, a different kind of border crossing. Once we got across into Ukraine, there were 16 miles of empty semis trying to get back into Poland to bring uh to bring the empty trucks of from the supplies that they had uh, delivered there they told us it would take them over a week to clear through the the border because the uh, um, they're being very very thorough in yeah, their checks apologize. of those trucks as they come back across so uh but then we got into Ukraine and in some ways Brian, I was um amazed by how active the country and the, the communities were. People were going about their, their lives. Um, I, we stayed in Lviv the first night in Ukraine, and the, it was a, a weekend evening, and there was... Uh, there was life on the on the square where we were staying. It was uh, the the center of the city, and there was a musician playing. There was a um, a brewery next door, and there were lots of people in there and really living life. And I came to realize that was, um, I think you know they're they're living their life and supporting their economy and and trying to live as normal of life as possible, and. That's one of the contrasts that I, you know, really the first contrast that I started out seeing. And there's so many um, to talk about as we go further.
0: So air raid sirens go off to people immediately seek shelter. Are they kind of going about their lives and just, ignore, you know, it's sort of like we get um, weather warnings and stuff and we, we may not always take those seriously. How, how seriously do they take the air raid sirens? Well, when the air raid sirens went off when I was in Kiev, I was actually sleeping and didn't
1: hear them, so I ignored them. Um, but <laughs> you must <laughs> but, be a sound sleeper, wow! But uh, some people, and it real—I think it really depends on who they work for, what they do, and and their positions in society. Uh, that night when the air raid sirens went off in Kiev, while we were there. Uh, We met with CRS the next day and they went to the they went to shelter as soon as the air raid siren went off and spent seven hours in the in the shelter that that morning. Um, We did not. And uh, so I was awakened at 5 a.m. by the by the missile hitting. Um, and and the re- felt the repercussions. It was miles away. I was going to say how close. To... Um, they they never really said where they landed either, except for the one that killed people in a rural village. I think that's part of security and mm. not allowing them to know how close they are to targets. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, at seven o'clock, I texted uh, Monsignor and Christian and said, "What's our plan?" And they said, "Will this affect our Will this affect our day?" And they said, "No." And by 8 o'clock, Monsignor Vitillo was being interviewed. By 9 o'clock, we were out walking around the city of Kiev, and there was quite a lot of activity. Garbage trucks were picking up the, the garbage, and people were hustling to work, uh, just like a normal morning. It,
0: yeah, what uh, wasn't normal from the pictures that you shared, uh, that we shared on social media, and again, thanks for keeping us updated during your trip. You, you saw bombed out vehicles, um, you, you saw the remnants of war amidst what sounds like somewhat typical routines of folks. Absolutely. Um, we, on,
1: on the af- that afternoon um, the, that we heard those sirens, we went and visited a village uh, about 10 miles uh, on the outskirts of, of Kiev, still officially in the city, but, um, but uh, 10 miles from the center of town. And it was a part of the country that had been occupied by Russians just a year earlier. And we were led um, there. We started uh, near where the mass grave was. We saw the, 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 the mass grave of vehicles that had been destroyed and were piled up. Um, and then she took us to the home where she was actually holed up for two weeks with several other people. And they were right in the middle of the Russian uh, soldiers and tanks, and the Ukrainian soldiers and tanks who were literally just a block or two away on either side of this house where they were holed up. Um, she led us and told us, took us to the house. We met the owner. She showed us the craters in the yard where the shellings had happened. She showed us where people would go out and get water each, each evening in the two weeks they were there. And she actually told us that she thought it was an act of terror, but each time they would send four people out once a day to get water and the snipers would pick one person off oh. to terrorize them. Um, and then she took us around the, the neighborhood and you just couldn't hardly find a surface that didn't have a bullet hole um, or total destruction of the houses. We visited with a family who for four generations had been living on the same compound. They had three houses. I say compound. It was not very big, but three houses, uh, quite, you know, modest, but but nice for them to live in. They had three different families living there. And the, the lady was gardening the day that we were there, cleaning up the garden. I think it was therapy for her because the houses are destroyed. They cannot live there. Her family is... Um, really strewn all over the world. I think she said somewhere in South America, somewhere in the United States, somewhere in other parts of Europe, um, because they can't live in their houses. Um, And as we were leaving, after we had walked around and seen the destruction that had happened, she looked at us. She said, thank you so much for listening. And then she said, please tell the world what they've done to us. And Monsignor put his arm on her shoulder, um, said a, a, a prayer and you know assured her that we would continue to tell her story. So I'm glad I'm able to do that today.
0: And obviously millions and millions of people have been displaced. You just share a story of, of folks who lost their homes. So the people that have stayed in Ukraine and have had their homes destroyed, are they living in tents? Have they found other shelter? How, how is that playing out? Yeah, well, Brian, a um, great question, and they're not.
1: Even in when I was in Warsaw and there's lots of uh, refugees in Warsaw. No, did nowhere did you see tents or people on the streets begging these people are taking them into their homes. We uh, in 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 Poland, um, then in while we were in Ukraine, several of the projects that ICMC and uh, the the church in in uh, Ukraine are supporting are for internally displaced people. And we saw amazing work happening by the Catholic Church there, uh, whether it was priests, sisters, the Knights of Malta, the Knights of Columbus, the laity, um, you know, psychologists, social workers, taking care of men, women, and children, um, some with special needs and doing amazing work And uh, as I said earlier, I I think I said earlier, they're doing it with a very limited number of resources. Monsignor Vitillo got some great insights on his July trip to Ukraine from the nuncio. Um, And he said, you know, work with the church and work with some of those places that aren't getting the funding. And we saw amazing work going on.
0: And the people you encountered, you've already touched on this. uh, Resilient is the word that that Came to mind when you're talking earlier. What other characteristics, or, or what do you, what did you see in the, in the people there that have been affected by this conflict? Well,
1: resilient is definitely one. I think, um, you know, they are determined. Um, they're they they're determined uh, that that this isn't going to um, that they're going to win this war and that they're going to continue to be faithful. They're determined in so many ways. Uh, Yeah, it's, I, it, it it really brought, um, it brought a, a whole new look at how amazing our humanity, how amazing we can be as human beings to one another and under awful circumstances. Uh, really saw some of the best of the best of people and of humanity, uh, while I was there, both in those that are caring for people and those that are living in not great circumstances, but smiling, dancing, um, you know, having uh, learning um, and, and in some ways advancing. Uh, w- one of the programs we visited was um, for children that are displaced, and some of them have very special needs. And we met with a mother who said her autistic child uh, before they came would act out. Um, and they were able with a very simple tablet, cost us cost forty bucks. They were able to. Um download a program and communicate with this child. And she said now her child can tell her when she needs to use the restroom, when she wants to go outside, when she's hungry, and she doesn't have to act out. She uses the tablet to communicate with her mother. Uh, simple things, but yeah. that mother was so thankful for what the church had done. And we actually delivered um, some tablets that day, and, and ICMC is funding a smart screen uh, for them to use with uh, the classes and so forth at that uh, that center of mercy, and it's uh, I mean it's in a an older building. We surely uh, they're renovating it as they go, um, but. Yeah, it was really amazing.
0: So the the Catholic response, you touched on some of the organizations uh, that are on the ground there. Um, is that being coordinated by the Vatican or how is that? How are they working with the, the Ukraine government and other governments surrounding Ukraine? Can you tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, the uh, support infrastructure that's in place by the church to help the people of Ukraine?
1: Yeah. So Catholic response for Ukraine is something that's uh, I think it came out of the dicastery really wanting Catholic agencies that are um, responding to this disaster to communicate during the disaster. Um, It's not, they do not call it a coordinating body, they call it just a a body of bringing all of these agencies that are on the ground so that they know what each other are doing, so that they, I mean, we would think of it as coordinating. For some reason they hesitate to use that word, um, but so that they know what one another are doing. And even in seeing what's happening, I think there's need for for that to continue and for more of that. And I think it's even in my work over the last 25 plus years in global health. That's one of the things that I've seen the need for is, you know, often you'll see people coming in and doing a project right behind somebody else that just yep. just did a project. Yep. And we need to we need to really think about that. I, I think it's working. I think uh, Monsignor Vitillo is really trying hard. But I think there's also at times resistance because, you know, we we're looking for funding each individual organization looking for funding and so forth.
0: So that gets me to the, the question that I think um, our listeners may be interested in is, what can we do? We, the people of Catholic health care in the United States, and I know uh, throughout your career in global health, you've, you've cautioned about prudence in providing support, that you just don't want to send off you know, a, a shipment of clothes or, or bottled water or things like that. Um, you know We have to be really careful in, in how we provide support so that we don't create logistical and other issues on the receiving end of those um, supplies or equipment. So what advice in the few minutes we have left would you give to those listening who work in Catholic health care and, and, again, want to help? Yeah. Well, Brian, number one, we confirmed
1: what you just said. We talked to the Knights of Columbus, and they said that in early on 25 to 30 percent of what they received was useless and they had to get rid of it. I saw people sorting through donations in the basement of a church, and it could have been much better organized for them to receive. Um, And we met uh, with a group in Poland that has received ambulances, and they told us of an ambulance graveyard um, where ambulances – and they specifically talked about the large ambulances with lots of miles from the U.S. that just are sitting because they – either they can't afford the, the gas or they're, you know, they've broken down because they had a half a million miles on them when they got them. But what can we do? And So we, we need to be cautious when making those decisions. Number one, I, I think um, I'd be remiss in saying that they feel the prayers and support that we give to them, and uh, and we shouldn't uh, take that lightly. But we, we can make a huge difference by working with the church on the ground. You know, uh, there's a There's a movement um, at the U.S. government and in in global health to do localization. Ukraine is a perfect example as a a little bit more developed country of how supporting the capacity that's already there is going to be such an important piece. We saw um, priests, sisters, laity doing work on these projects for so little money. Um, There are lots of, uh, opportunities, whether it's with, to support organizations like Catholic Relief Services, who's building capacity, um, in the surrounding States. Um, and also we met with the people that are working there in Ukraine, mostly building the capacity of Caritas Spez and Caritas Ukraine. Um, you know, uh, Jesuit Refugee Services is working with refugees and internally displaced persons. Um, the, the entire Caritas Network is working with people. But I think Monsignor Vitillo and ICMC have really hit something. And there are some projects working with the local church, supporting projects that they want to do Um you know, for under twenty twenty five thousand dollars 25000 is amazing. Uh, we visited, our last trip was to the Knights of Columbus uh, retreat for returned veterans and their wives. And it was veterans who are struggling to re uh, acclimate re, re-acclimate to society. And the Knights of Columbus are providing a three weekend, uh, three days, three different weekends where they come together at this. Uh, mountain resort in Ukraine. Um, they they have a psychologist, they have priests, they have social workers uh, there to work with them. They're doing group activities. They're learning about just war. Um, and this, I think, you know, is under twenty five thousand dollar investment for for fifteen families to try and to return to some normalcy and and regain what they had before they were off in war. So I think it's supporting those organizations um, that are there and supporting the local church and building the capacity of the local church. We met with psychologists that were uh, being, Um, trained and and paid for and providing services to their own people. Monsignor told us when I first went, I thought I was going to send psychologists from other places. But once I got there, I didn't need to do that. They have the capacity. We just need to build it. Um, So I think it's it's, uh, doing your due diligence, finding those things, and working with people that are already on the ground that really uh, we can do.
0: Yeah. And to emphasize, and you've said this, that you know the Catholic Church has really uh, responded. And there are just a, an array of excellent Catholic organizations doing work. Many of them are listed on our website. We have a, a page dedicated to Ukraine. So for those listening who want more information, again, uh, chausa.org. And you can go down and scroll. I think it's a little bit down on the homepage, there is a Ukraine section. I uh, encourage you to check that. I will, of course, put links on the podcast page to resources as well. Final word, uh, Bruce, on, on, that, on this experience and, and what you want to leave our listeners with.
1: You know, I have been uh, all over the world visiting development projects. Uh, I think this was one of the most impactful, and it was because I got to see that localization really in action. I got to see the church in action. It really uh, reignited a flame of inside me uh, to continue this work, um, but also to support people as individuals. I mean, people were living their lives. I met so many people. There's so many things I'd love to tell you about, um, but uh, and I'm going to continue to do that both in my uh, professional life and in my personal life, uh, supporting people.
0: Bruce, thanks for representing uh, Catholic Healthcare on that trip. Uh, again, amazing pictures and updates that are on our social media pages that you can also check out. But again, this has been uh, a conversation with Bruce Compton. He's Senior Director for Global Health of the Catholic Health Association. Again, thanks, Bruce, for being with us. Thank you, Brian. And this has been another episode of Health Calls, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. I'm your host, Brian Reardon. Our producer is Josh Matica, and our engineer is Brian Hartman here at Clayton Studios in St. Louis. You can access health calls on the CHA website or podcast. You can also uh, download and listen at various podcast apps such as Apple, Spotify, Google Play. We encourage you to check that out. And again, on our webpage under podcast, we will have related links to what Bruce just shared with us. Thanks for listening.